I think next Sunday we need to let Eileen preach. That's what I told her. Man, I thought she was going to take off. Wow. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Hey, I do want to encourage you, tune in this Wednesday night. We're going to start something new on our midweek devotional for the next few weeks. We're going to have some guests that will be teaching, and at the end of their teaching time, I'm going to be kind of interviewing them about their teaching topic. We're, going, we're, we're doing a series called Growing in Wisdom and Understanding. This Wednesday night, Pastor Philip Thompson, do you know him, Pastor Virgil? Pastor Philip Thompson, he uh, is a, a pastor in Wapaka, Wisconsin, and he will be our guest Wednesday night. So I want to invite you to tune in and check that out. And uh, yeah, that's it. So I, I'm, I'm up here today, not preaching, I'm introducing, we have a, a guest speaker today. And we were blessed to have Pastor Virgil and Linda Amundsen here. And uh, Pastor Virgil and Linda, they pastored in Shell Lake, Wisconsin, over 50 years. Over 50 years. They planted a church there, and it today is a phenomenal church in a town of about 2,000 people. They are making things happen. They have impacted the nations from a little bitty uh, town in the north woods of Wisconsin. It's logging country, uh, timber country. And so they're, they're making a great impact from there. When I was a young man, 20-some years ago, I heard or saw Pastor Virgil for the first time at, at a missions conference when I was a Bible college student. And um, he was just this guy that was known for having a great impact on the nations from this little bitty church up in Wisconsin. And so I was kind of a, a guy standing back in the audience, standing in awe uh, of, of this guy. And I guess it was about eight years ago we, we met for the first time. And uh, over the years, I've been able to build a relationship with them. And uh, it was actually in October 2019. I was in Hayward, Wisconsin at the uh, missions conference there. And uh, my phone rang. And it was Pastor Bill Hudson. And so I went out of the, the meeting. It was during the day, a day, day session. Went out of the meeting and stood in the foyer and talked to Pastor Bill. We were talking about the Hayes family possibly coming to Clarksville. And uh, hung up the phone, and Pastor Virgil walked into the lobby. And I started talking to him. And uh, don't know why, but I just shared. I said, hey, just got a phone call. And I think the Lord's calling us to southern Indiana. Uh, to go and work at a church there. And uh, he had a lot of words. And um, I, I said, Pastor Virgil, if we go to Clarksville, you're going to be one of the first guys that I have to come and preach the word. Pastor Virgil has inspired me. Uh, you, you go to their church and see what their church, it's church probably 300, 400 people, 400 on a, a big Sunday in this little town of a couple thousand people. And they have given... When I say millions, I'm not exaggerating, millions of dollars, millions, multiple millions of dollars. This small church, one of the poorest counties, I think, in Wisconsin, isn't that correct? But they have sown to the nations, and they have impacted their county. They've impacted their county. They, they've actually opened a home, a rehabilitation home in their county, where they're impacting the people in, in their county as well. It's not just that they're touching the nation. They're touching their community. They're touching the nation's from a little town in northern Wisconsin. And uh, he has inspired me. I believe that God has called Virgil and Linda to be here today to inspire us and to sow seeds uh, into our church that I hope will uh, impact us for many days and years ahead. So without any uh, uh, further 
rambling, I'm going to ask Pastor Virgil to come and minister to us this morning. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Well, I used to do all the things that he was telling you about, but I stepped down from pastoring the ministry uh, four years ago, and, uh, and my successor was with us for a number of years, and God put him into that position. I know that God spoke to me about that, and they're doing exceptionally well, and after 50 years of hearing one voice and then put another voice up there, it took a little adjustment, but uh, the church is just flourishing now again, and um, we, uh, Hayward Church, where he received that call, that was a church we helped to plant with Dr. Timothy Warner, who was not a doctor of ministry at that time. We placed him in that church in Hayward, and then uh, south of us, about the same distance as we were from Hayward, we planted another church here about uh, 17 years ago. And so northern Wisconsin has some churches that are, are really doing something for the kingdom of God. Not only that, but praise God, there's been uh, churches around the world. We, we've supported uh, over 100 missionaries uh, during the time that we've served, and then uh, 60 missionaries get support every month from that congregation. God is, uh, we're, we're international, but we're local, and so we call it a world, we have a conference every year called a World Missions Conference. It includes domestic missions in our community. Uh, it includes uh, domestic missions in our state and in our country, and then our world outreach. So that's why we call it world uh, missions. Uh, my wife is with us today, and uh, I want you to meet Linda. So if I could ask Linda to stand. She... Linda is the mother of our three children and uh, the grandmother of our six grand, three grand, well, how many, six grandchildren? Eight grandchildren. Oh, dear. Because I, I got to go a little further and say that we're expecting our sixth great-great-grandchild. So that's why I'm a little confused here. But um, uh, next, well, in two weeks, babes. We'll be married for 58 years, so it's been quite a while, so praise God. And, uh, she was my high school sweetheart. Um, I promised to her that someday I would marry her when we were in seventh grade. Well, we waited a few years, okay, don't get too excited, but uh, praise God, uh, she's been the joy in my life for all these years. Um, a uh, little uh, incidental trivia here. Uh, Steve Manneke and his wife, Rebecca. Uh, there they are, elders in this church. When I was here for the conference last fall for the IMA General Conference, I met Steve. He told me his last name was Manneke. And I said, are you related to Dick Manneke and Ron Manneke in, in uh, Rice Lake, Wisconsin? And he said, well, Dick is my dad. And Ron is my uncle. And I said, well, I graduated, my wife and I graduated from high school with his uncle Ron. And I knew your dad from, he was just a three, two years older. And I remember he married Rhoda Hedman. And uh, you're a, Victor is your uncle. Amazing. Hi, Rebecca. Good to see you. Her mother, Sister Larson, uh, I knew her well, too. And she would attend our church from time to time at special events that we had. And I think you did too. 
So you know where our church is. And so we're trying to familiarize you with not a stranger up here, but we feel comfortable in, in knowing you. And God has prepared my heart this morning for a uh, word to this congregation. And if I asked you the question, how is it with your soul today? What would your response be? Hallelujah. It is well with my soul. And Sister Rachel, she was just she was just embracing and helping to reaffirm some of the thoughts that God had put in my heart to share. And I'm going to get right to it this morning to save time. I'm so glad to be with you and so glad to uh, know your pastor and to see this church that God has given him and his wife to shepherd and lead. And, and uh, Pastor Bill, where is he? Is he out here today? Oh, I'm overlooking you. <laughs> God bless you, sir. And uh, this is your dear wife. Amen. Let's give your former pastor a wonderful hand. I appreciate you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I always feel a little bit comforted knowing that someone has served in the ministry for this length of time as he has and has an understanding of, of what it really is about. You, you, you have to serve a while to figure out what it's really about. And then at the end of the journey, you understand things you never understood when you begin. But today I would like to open up to the book of Isaiah, the 51st chapter. And uh, we're going to talk about hearing and understanding uh, God's voice in the church today. And um, Isaiah chapter 51 so, uh, these are the scriptures. I lost my glasses somewhere along the way between Florida and here. And I'm looking at some glasses that aren't really that good to look through. But I think I, maybe, and I'm not one of those that can memorize all these verses. So here we go. Isaiah the prophet said, listen to me, all who hope for deliverance, all who seek the Lord. Consider the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were my, uh, mined. Now I'm reading from the New Living Translation as you probably know it's not a King James or New King James. Um, verse 2. Yes, think about Abraham, your ancestor, and Sarah who gave birth to your nation. Abram was only one man when I called him, but when I blessed him, he became a great nation. The Lord will comfort Israel again. And he will have pity on her runes. That means he's going to get Israel back into his favor again. Her desert will blossom like Eden. Her barren wilderness like the garden of the Lord. And joy and gladness will be found there. Joy and gladness is always a result of coming out of, of bondage or coming out of, of discouragement. Songs of thanksgiving will fill the air. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, Israel. For the law will be proclaimed and my justice will become a light to the nations. My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. 
My strong arm will bring justice to the nations. All distant lands will look to me and wait in hope for my powerful arm. Look up to the skies above and gaze down on the earth below, for the skies will disappear like smoke and the earth will wear out like a piece of clothing. The people of the earth will die like flies, but my salvation lasts forever. My righteous rule will never end. Listen to me, you who know right from wrong, you who cherish my law in your hearts. Do not be afraid of people's scorn, nor fear their insults, for the moth will devour them as it devours clothing. The worm will eat at them as it eats wool. But my righteousness will last forever. My salvation will continue from generation to generation. Let's look at verse 11. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Now, I'm going to bring some good news to you this morning from Isaiah chapter 51. These first eight verses are a call for God's people to put their trust completely in the Lord. Trust him totally. In these first eight verses, the prophet mentions the term, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Three times. So my question is, are God's people really listening? Listening to God's voice, to what he wants to say, especially concerning these times that we are living in what we should do during these times. I'm not trying to talk about um, listening to people's opinions or, or listen to people's ideas or listen to other people's perspectives. I'm talking about listening to what God has to say and what we should do and what decisions that we should be making during these times. God knows what we need to do. God understands everything that's taking place, but he wants us to know what he wants us to do in these times. So I'm talking today about hearing clearly the voice of God and what he is saying to his people throughout the world. I believe that the most important voice we can hear right now is God's voice. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Father. Such a warm presence of God that you have brought into this house this morning through your Holy Spirit. And we receive this Spirit. And we take in this Spirit. And we open up, Lord, our hearts to receive from what you have for us today. We listen, Lord God, with our ears open to you, to your voice. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Those things that we need, God, that will help us through life and our daily decisions that we make in life. God, open up our minds that we can perceive your thoughts today and let the life of God manifest through us and the word of God manifest to us. We pray this in the wonderful name of our Lord. Amen. How many of you really believe God is speaking to us today? Is he speaking?
Can we believe that God wants to share with us his answers to our problems, his solutions, amen, to our needs? Does God want to share those things with us? Perhaps it's not so much about uh, us getting God's attention as it is maybe about God getting our attention. He wants, he wants us to hear him. It's not so much about us talking all the time to God as it is about us hearing God's voice, listening to God speak. We need to hear him. The scripture says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. In Mark chapter 4, 23 and 24, Jesus said, take heed what you hear. And then he says something interesting in the, in the NLT, New, New Living. Take, uh, the closer you listen, listen to this, the closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. There's no stopping God's voice. Once you hear from God doesn't mean that's the end of hearing from God. I believe God's speaking all the time. And the more we understand and the more we listen, the more we're going to continue to understand as we continue to listen. It's, I call it listen, listening. Clearly God wants to, us to hear his voice in our inner ear, our spiritual ear. So I'm asking God's people today to just turn them antennas up a little bit. Lift them up to hear a little better what God wants to say to you, especially in these times. I was looking at the three verses that the prophet is calling for us to listen to him. He says, listen to me, all who hope for deliverance. Listen to me, my people. Listen to me, you who know right from wrong. Three times the prophet says, you've got to listen to him. Now, there's an interesting Hebrew word for listen. One of the Hebrew words, and in the King James, if you use that Bible, it says, hearken to his voice. Hearken to the Lord. Now, the word actually has the meaning of pricking up the ears, like an alert animal. And you know how, how deer are, if you are any connoisseur of hunting deer, like I am, they prick up their ears all the time. They're always listening. They never put their ears down. They always are listening because there could be danger the very next moment. There could be a prey, praying animal coming, sneaking up on them. There could be a hunter. There could be a man in the woods. But all the time, they've got their ears up. And almost all animals are like that. They prick up their ears. They're paying attention all the time. The word in, in the, another word for hearken is shema. It means to give undivided listening attention. Undivided listening attention. Or to hear spiritually. In the beginning of the, in the, beginning of the pandemic, uh, when life changed, began to change like we had never known it before, and we began to lose control every day of things we normally did, I heard my pastor friend, Dr. Timothy Warner, from Hayward Church, who is also my first cousin. 
He said these words. I said, Tim, what's, what's happening in your mind? He said these words. I'm going to quote. He said, well, Pastor Virgil, life is changing by the moment for all of us. But God can help us navigate through these uncharted waters. God can help us. I know you've all experienced the same things. We've all experienced this, these out-of-control circumstances where just everything seems outside of our control. We've been in a waiting period now for all, I say, too long. It's been too long. You don't know how joyful it is to come and, and see people assembling together here in the house of God. The Bible tells us to do this. The government says don't do this. But God says do do this. Assemble together so much the more as you see the, the evil day approaching. You know, uh, I, I listened to the Tribute Quartet and uh, Lefevre's uh, they got into a church in Florida. We, we, we house our, our, we do our housing in Florida in the wintertime. We're, we're smart people. We leave Wisconsin <laughs> in the North Peak. And so we, we go down there for about four months. And the, and the, have you ever heard, I don't know if you're into quartets, but I like Southern Gospel. And anyway, uh, the, the Lefevers were there and the Tribute Quartet, great, great singers. They got up and they said, you don't know how good it is to see people. <laughs> he said, this is the first church that has opened its doors. We have been a year off. Never could get in a venue to go into a church and sing. And you people are the first people we actually have seen on a venue of ours for over a year. He said, I've been standing in front of cameras. I've been standing in front of in, in, in recording music, but never see any people. And let me just tell you, that seems like it's been a long, long time for all of us. So thank God that you're back together again. We're in this waiting period, waiting for everything to get back to normal. I think, I think about Job. You know, Job, he was a Christian. He was a believer. He loved God. And God favored him. He had a great family. He was very wealthy. Life was good for Job until life turned on him. I find so many people's, and I try not to listen to everybody's opinion, but so many tell me the devil is doing this. Well, then why don't you kick him out? You think he's doing it because you got the authority to do that. You have that authority, but... People want to blame everything you can imagine on what's going on. Blaming government, blaming this, blaming that. You know what? Job questioned God of why he was going through what he went through when life turned. I'm just saying this. Life turns on us sometimes. You can't control it. It just happens. I have had to tell people through the years, life, that's what's happening to you. You're going through life. Life is not always good. Life doesn't always happen for our benefit. Sometimes God permits life to happen for our benefit. Because it's in the waiting periods that we learn about God in a different way than you'll ever know him any other way. Job waited. 
Let me see, let me just show you something here uh, about Job. Even though he questioned God, you cannot find in the Bible where Job resented God. Hear me. He never resented God for losing his wife, losing his friends, losing his fortune. He lost everything, the Bible says, and yet never resented God. Question God? How many of you have ever questioned God? Be truthful. We do question God at times. But let me... <laughs> Job's, Job's name means persecuted one. How would you like to have the name persecuted one? I mean, he was definitely persecuted. All these onslaughts came against him, and yet he never resented God. But he was determined that he was going to hold on to his faith despite the circumstances, and he purposed to wait for God to change his condition. Wait. Here's what he says in Job 14, 14. All the days of my hard service... I will wait until my change comes. A lot of people think that Job spent his whole life in these terrible circumstances, that everything went wrong for him all of his life. That's not true, folks. I heard a Bible scholar a few years back finally make it plain to me that Job's trials really only lasted about 18 months to two years. It didn't last his whole life. In the near, and in the time that he survived that waiting period, God returned his blessings back to him more than he had in the beginning. So it was, a trial is only seasonal. What you go through on circumstances are seasonal. Does a year seem like forever? Yes. But it's not forever. Amen? Amen? It's not forever. Your change is going to come. My change is going to come. The change for the church is coming. God is already restoring. He's already bringing back. He's already redeeming what life has taken from us. I don't resent anybody. I don't resent the doctors, who the science that they're telling us. I may not agree, but I'm not, re I'm not in the mode to just resent people. I don't resent people. I don't resent God. I don't resent the people. I don't resent the government. I, I don't approve of things, but I can't get this terrible resentment to get down into my spirit. I'm getting old. I don't want to die a resentful man. Job did not want to die a resentful man. He never cursed God. The Bible says, I'm going to wait for the change to come. Let me, let me give you a word here for wait. The Hebrew word is to wait patiently trusting. Patiently trusting. Folks, what we're going through now and what we've been through maybe isn't as important about what's happening to us as what is happening in us. Maybe that's the most important thing. What is happening in me? As God's purpose in all of this is to bring and transform the church and his body into the glory of God and into the, into the purity of heart 
and into the faithfulness of their spirit. God wants faithfulness, purity, and he wants glory. Now, come on. That's what purpose that we go through things is to do. Transform that. Look at Psalms 27, verse 13, verse 14 with me, just for a moment. And I'm trying to find a clock somewhere, so I'm staying schedule. Psalms, yes, I am confident. I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Are you confident that you're going to still see the Lord's goodness? And I will wait patiently, or I will trust patiently for the Lord. I will be brave and courageous, and yes, I will wait patiently or trustingly in the Lord. You know, what I've learned is living by faith almost always means wait. It most always means wait patiently, doesn't it? But we're learning, and God's teaching us difficult circumstances in our lives are really just a test of your faith. What we are going through, church, is a test of our faith. Do you know that in many churches that I have preached in, that pastors I have known very well, only one-third of the people in their churches have come back to church as of today. I've called pastors in Louisiana, Texas, different places, and I said, how's your congregation doing? Oh, pastor, it's a mess. That was just told to me this week by a couple of great pastors who had 1,000 and 2,000 in their congregations. One-third, Brother Bills, has returned. I said, well, what's, what's the reason for that? Oh, they got into online services. They, got, they heard some preachers that are a whole lot better than the, preacher I, than the messages I give. Dear God, it shows you the shallowness of, of Christianity. Just shallow. Where is the depth Christianity that, that we need to aspire to so, so people know that we are committed we are faithful. We are trusting God. And we are church people. Don't ever stop being a church people, please. Now that comes from a pastor that I saw people come and go over the so many, 50 years of that. I love people to show up for church. But most important, I love it when people say, I'm going to church today because I love to go to church. Amen. Hallelujah. I just threw that in. That didn't have anything to do with my notes. <laughs> so here's what Peter says about your test. He's speaking to us today. God's speaking this. And, and I want you to get it here this morning. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. Look at this. So be truly glad. Everybody say glad. glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Everybody say wonderful joy. Wonderful. <laughs> Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Remember, trials are only seasonal. I've been through them. I always tell people when they're in something really deep, I say, you get out of it. God's not going to leave you there. Sister God anointed this morning, say, he will not abandon you. He will always be there for you. He will lift you out. You're in a season, and you'll get out of it, because seasons always change. God ordained it to be that way. So, it's just being tested. 
Treat it as fire tests and purifies gold. So Peter's writing when you're in a test, be truly glad. If you're a Christian, there are a lot of things that don't seem to make sense when you read them. But when you're in the midst of a trial and you're supposed to be truly glad, you're not glad that you're in the trial. You are glad there's wonderful joy ahead. You're not looking... You're looking at the present. Get your eyes off of the circumstances and look to God who brings us out and redeems us and restores us. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return to Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Hallelujah. That's what's happening now. God's starting to revive the church, and I heard some great stories, great testimony. There's a youth movement right now where thousands of young people in America are coming to Christ. It's not happening in the church, that's just being said, but it's happening because they are hungry, and people are out there talking to them, building little groups of people and teaching them, and they're getting hungry and going, telling their friends there's a youth movement of revival taking place in America right now. It's huge. And it's going to be. And when, if you heard Kent Christmas when he was speaking in Washington, D.C. at that big rally that they had there, he prophesied that there would be a revival breaking forth in December. I heard that, and I Kent, 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 woo. We're not in the, we, there's no sign of revival in your prophesying this. See, that's the unique thing about God and the prophetic word. Prophetic words don't always come instantly. They're not fulfilled instantly. Sometimes it's years. Sometimes it's months. But understand, if God gives a word and it's truly from the Lord and he speaks it to your heart, you stand on that promise and don't give in. That's a promise from God. And it doesn't matter how long it takes to be fulfilled, you live in the joy of the fact that it will be fulfilled. Live in the joy. Oh, glory to God. I should have titled this, Live in the Joy. That lady that got up here this morning, I thought, she's living in the joy. Amen. You know, one of the biggest signs of a person coming out of depression, psychiatrists say, is when they get their joy back. I apply that to the church too. There's times we go through things like we have for the past year, but one of the great signs of the church coming out of that is when the joy and gladness of the Lord begins to fill the hearts of the people. You're not going to attract anybody to the kingdom of God with that sourpuss face we put on. <laughs> Nobody's going that. Joy and gladness. See, God's called us to be a believing church, not a grieving church. Everybody say believing church. We're an Abraham church. That's a believing church. Hallelujah. Sometimes our difficulties, if they're prolonged too long, mess up with our minds, don't that, doesn't it? Sometimes we get... Wondering and questioning. Sometimes we're, we're discouraged. Sometimes doubt starts setting in. Sometimes confusion comes. The longer you're in something, all of these things start happening to us. We get confused. We start doubting. We get kind of discouraged. Am I the only one that goes through things like that? No. Folks, it's life. And it's a season. 
and it isn't going to last forever. So if you can see the promise, and you can see the wonderful joy ahead, get out of your molly grubs and start rejoicing in the Lord and be joyful every day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When Isaiah wrote this prophecy, what do I have, five minutes, ten minutes? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll just try to hit this very important point. When Isaiah wrote the, the, the 51st chapter, when he wrote the book, in the 6th chapter, he talks about King Uzziah dying. It was a big heartbreak for Isaiah, big heartbreak. Uzziah kind of kept Israel and Judah together. They were in, they were in conflict. They were serving idols. They were struggling with their faith, and they were, they were uh, uh, refusing to submit to God. They were in a bad place. It was a bad time for Israel. And Isaiah's prophesying after King Uzziah died and, and the evil Assyrians, they start to come and they wanted to take control of Israel and take control of the people. And the people of Israel began, began to get fearful that their freedom and their sovereignty as a nation were being taken away. Well, they had a right to be. Assyria finally did take them into captivity. And then after they were done with them, they go into Babylon. And they're in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. So they went through a long process of being corrected by the Lord. <sighs> Don't wait too long, folks. Let's get it right. Submit yourself to God. Amen. Get your joy back. The only way that Israel could receive God's blessings back again would be for them to surrender and trust in God. And the whole chapter of 51 was to think, he says in verse 2, think of Abraham. Now, I have a whole message on Abraham, but I'm not going to give it to you this morning. On, on our faith and, and, and the righteousness that faith produces by faith, we, we are righteous, as Abraham was righteous. By faith, we call the children of Abraham, or the children of faith. And remember that Abraham, Abraham was accounted for righteousness 430 years before the law and circumcision were introduced. Grace for righteousness. So that means our righteousness doesn't come by all our laws and legalistic forms. Our righteousness doesn't even come by baptism. We've made a lot out of things that are important, but we've majored on them and we've lost the real meaning of relationship with God. God wants to help us to understand that there's a promise that he's made. He says in, uh, in verse Isaiah, uh, let's see where it is. Isaiah 51, verse 2. He said, yes, think about Abraham, your ancestor, and Sarah who gave faith to your nation, or birth to your nation, faith too. Abraham was only one man. Everybody say one man. Only one man. God started this whole faith process and this whole redemptive plan and this whole righteousness uh, uh, in Christ by one man, Abraham. When I called him, but when I blessed him, he became a great nation. And so what, he, what Abraham was trying to get Israel to do in this terrible, terrible captivity that they were in is to get their thinking right first. Yes, he says, think of Abraham. Why was that important? Because that's where God's plan for redemption started with Abraham. 
Oh, I know there's promises before that. But he started his redemptive plan with Abraham, and so he wanted them to think about the promises that God made to Abraham. And the promises that God made to Abraham were that he would have a seed, one seed, not as of many seeds, but one seed. Obviously, that seed is referring to a Redeemer. Obviously, the Redeemer is Jesus Christ. How do we know? Because the Bible says in Galatians chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 19, and he wants to remind us today as his church that we have been a chosen people by God's grace, and he said, by the obedience of one man. Everybody say one man. We are made righteous. If, the obedient, if Abraham's started as one man to produce a nation for God, a chosen people, then we have become a chosen people by one man who redeemed us at the cross. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Why did God bless Abraham? Because he stood with the promise that God, and he would never consider the circumstances that he went through as being too difficult for God to perform his promise. Folks, I don't care how it looks in our lives. We're children of faith. We're children of Abraham. We're not a grieving church. We're a believing church. Hallelujah. And as a believing church, we have been given the promises of God that are always yes and always amen. And when we hold to the promise of God, that's why he's saying think about Abraham. Think about the promise that God made to him. It was through that promise you became a nation. It's that through this promise you would produce a redeemer. Get your thinking right, Israel. Get your head on straight. That's why he says think about that. We get our minds straight. We get our, and get our theology straight. <laughs> Praise God. Get everything straightened out with God. So the sign of a victorious church and a sign of favor with God is when the manifestation of joy and gladness appears again. I've been in church, at the church all my life, practically, and I've seen times where we've, where we've mourned. I've seen times where we rejoiced. I've seen times where it seemed like we held back, and I've seen times where we just forged ahead. Well, that is part of, part of the process. But let me just say, when you get those times where you're standing still, or you get in those times where it seems like everything is turned against you, remember the promise. Get your head on straight. You are a children of Abraham, a child of Abraham by faith, and you're a child of the living God by faith, and you are still righteous, and you still have the promise of eternal life, and you're living in that hope that you're going to live forever with the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. You're doing good. You're, you're amening once in a while. I love that. So, I'll bring this to an end here with this text from Romans chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. Listen to this. Paul is writing that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. It brings glory to God when you don't waver in, in the promises he's made for you. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit. Everybody say, my benefit. It was recorded for my benefit. 
assuring me that as assuring me as righteous if I believe in him, the one who raised Christ Jesus the Lord from the dead. So, all it required for Abraham was to believe God's promise, to obey his word when God spoke to him, and God produced the seed. The same seed that produces righteousness in us. Don't beat yourself up, folks. God isn't mad at you. Don't don't beat yourself up. God isn't against you. You heard the prophetic song this morning. That means he will never abandon you. He will never cast you down. He told Israel, he said, I will never cast you aside. I am with you always. And it's through Christ we are blessed today that he's with us always. We, and, and Galatians 3.29, Abraham believed God's promise and the scripture says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Yeah. Hallelujah. So every test that Abraham had from leaving his own, from going from his own homeland to a land he didn't know was a, a step of trust. He heard the voice, and then he trusted. You know that in Abraham's entire journey, he only heard God's voice 11 times recorded in Scripture. He went all his life hearing God 11 different times. But every time God spoke was a critical junction in his walk with him. And God doesn't, you don't always hear clearly the voice of God, but God is always speaking. And if you can turn your ears into a, hearing his voice, you'll find that he'll give you clear direction. Not only through the, the word in your spirit, but also through the, the word, the logos, the word of God. So today we're not in mourning. Everybody said amen. amen. Today we're a joyful and rejoicing people who love the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Peter says you love him even though you have not seen him. You trust him, you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. I leave you with this today. Abraham made a confession. And that confession was based upon the promise God gave him. Here's the confession. When he was taking Isaac up to, to be slain upon the altar... And he was, he was getting ready to take the knife. Do you think Abraham really thought that he was going to plunge his, the knife into his son? It's conjectural. Don't answer it. <laughs> I can't answer it. But here's what God said. He had told him, get out of your country. I'm going to take you to a land that you don't know. And through your seed, one seed... He said, I am going to produce a nation. And that seed will not only produce a nation, but it will also, it will also heal the Gentiles. It will also help the Gentile people. So Israel and the Gentiles. So the son, the little boy that he's going to sacrifice, asks a question of his father. Dad, you got the fire, or the wood, and you got the fire. He said, where's the sacrifice? 
And he's laying, being ready to be laid on that altar. Not the fire, but the altar. And here's, his son, here's Abraham's response. He said, son, God will provide himself a lamb. That's the confession that turned the tide for Abraham to receive the promise. He heard God's voice previously and he knew that God's promise would come to pass. Even though it was remote. Even though there was no even possibility. He knew. And he said, God will provide himself. That was a prophecy. Speaking forth 2,000 years to come when an altar at Mount Calvary would be erected to receive the sacrifice that was meant for you, you and me. Our confession is very important. You have, you've heard so many people's confessions in the past year. You might confess yourself to success or you might confess yourself to failure. You might confess yourself to joy or you might confess yourself to discouragement. Your confession matters. Abraham's confession so mattered. So stand with me this morning, if you will. I want to rehearse a confession with you as we close the service today. And confessing our faith, confessing God's promise. How many believe a confession is important? You have to do it when you receive Christ. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Your heart believes, but your mouth confesses. That's how we should live. We should live confessing. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Speak out. That's what the word confess means. It means to speak out. Abraham spoke it out. My son, God will provide. As he has the knife ready. He still believed. He staggered not. Hebrew says at the promise of God. God has made his promises. He's made you promises. He's made the church promises. I lived on the promises of God for our church. I remember when God's, we had 12 people. We had three, five of them were us. I had three little kids and 12 people in the congregation. And I was struggling, but I was full of zeal. Of course, I was young, but I was full of zeal. And you know, I was praying one night in the middle of the night, not in the middle of the night, a night when it was absolutely cold, freezing, nobody showed up at the church. I, I was there anyway. And I started praying. And God spoke to me. Here's what he said, Job 8, 7. I didn't even know it was in the Bible at that time. He said, though thy beginning is small, yet thy latter end shall greatly increase. That's a word God gave me. I framed it, mind you. 
I put it on a big old, uh, somebody sewed me a big old blanket with the, with the writing on there, though thy beginning is small, yet thy latter end shall increase. That was a promise. It did not happen for a long time. <laughs> Wait patiently. Trust always. Never quit trusting God. You confess that. I started confessing it to 12 people. Our, our ending is going to be great, folks. God said our ending is going to be, our latter end will be great. I just telling them that and looking at the circumstances and I still didn't stagger at that. You don't stagger by the circumstances. You confess your way all the way to the end. God is faithful, everybody. All right, here we are. You can go for your dinner after you make this confession with me. I wrote it down this morning because the Lord just dropped it in my spirit from, from Titus 3, 7, and I'm not, I'm not going to read the scripture. I'm just going to ask you to join me in this confession. So as we stand here, let's, let's, let's speak out this confession of faith and share this together. This is scriptural. That's not my deal. It's, it's scriptural. So let's make a confession here. Everybody, here we go. I believe in God's promise of redemption, which is appropriated to me by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am saved by grace through faith. And because of his grace, the, he has declared me righteous and given me confidence that I will inherit eternal life. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Look at, look at Titus 3, 7, and it'll confirm what you said. Pastor, welcome to the platform. I just feel like God's people have had enough. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Amen. Somebody said, when you're a young preacher, stand up to be seen. And they said, speak up to be heard. And then shut up to be appreciated. <laughs> I think that's David Thanks Cook, God. wasn't it? Was that David Cook, Brother Virgil, that you heard that from? <laughs> Praise God. Wow. And you know, this, you, you haven't heard a message today that was downloaded off the internet. This is coming from a man who's lived this most of his life, many decades. Amen. And this is, a, I think, a very deep word for us in this season. That we're in. And I believe we're, we're transitioning. I believe, like the spring, things are changing. And I believe God has some great things in store. Amen? God gave Job double for his trouble. And you know, that had nothing to do with Job. He didn't do that because Job was a good man. You know why he did it? Because he's a good God. Sometimes God lets us go through things. We don't understand it. But the reason we go through them is for his glory. Because he wants to manifest his goodness in our lives. Amen? Amen. Good things are coming. Take joy. Take joy. Amen? Somebody needs to get a hold of joy this morning. We're, we're going to do something. We're going to take a minute and pray. If you need prayer for anything, I want you to come to the altar. I'm going to pray for you, young man. His name's